The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash career slash USBP. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who have served their country in uniform. Less than 1% population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military and the other 99% of us we owe them online at americanveteranshow.com here's Stephen Tubbs welcome and ho 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 to the American Veteran Show right ahead of Christmas glad you are with us this is our final new episode of 2021 and of course we wish you and yours a happy holiday season ahead and Thank a veteran and thank an active duty member of our military over the holiday period. And we'll be back with brand new programming in 2022. In fact, in February, we begin season six of this very program. Coming up, we are first going to talk about the military connection with last weekend's deadly swath of tornadoes. Just terrible. And we also want to kind of get you in the Christmas spirit. In our next segment, we will... Hear from the legendary Bob Hope as he was on one of his USO tours. We'll specifically take you to Vietnam in 1967. In our third segment, you'll hear from former presidents Ronald Reagan and Franklin Roosevelt, as well as a soldier's poem and the United States Navy Band. And then at the end of the program, we've talked about it over the years on our holiday kind of period program, the Christmas Truce. Back in World War One, we'll wrap things up with that. We could not do a program like this without our presenting sponsor, Attorney John Boson at Boson Law, B-O-E-S-E-N Law, BosonLaw.com, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. Their number, 303-999-9999. Again, BosonLaw.com. There were so many families ripped apart last weekend and among the people killed at that amazon warehouse in edwardsville illinois well at least two veterans we send condolences out and we thank them for their sacrifice united states army veteran larry verdon he was 46 he leaves behind four children and what's just amazing is his daughter told a local television station that he had a missile blow up in front of him about 200 yards away during his time in Iraq, and he would survive that. And, of course, as we pay condolences, he lost his life last weekend. And also condolences to the family of United States Navy veteran Clayton Cope. Just 29 years old, he served aboard, among others, the USS Eisenhower. We send our condolences to them, and may they rest in peace. As for what the citizen soldiers are doing now, members of the National Guard, we'll talk about that in a moment. But first, Kentucky's governor. We've now been granted the immediate federal state of emergency. It is rare. It was granted incredibly quickly. And we are grateful to Homeland Security, to FEMA, and to President Biden himself. 
The National Guard uh, has been deployed. We have over 300 guardsmen that are active. They are out in our communities. They are doing everything from going door to door, though. In many of these communities, we don't have doors anymore. They're going rubble to, to rubble, searching, hopefully for survivors, but otherwise to at least have certainty for families that we can advise them of their loss. They're doing debris removal, and they're also helping out in, in law enforcement capacity where needed. Our transportation cabinet has been out hundreds of, of Kentucky workers in, in every large truck we can find. And let me tell you, today in, in Mayfield, we're, we've even started moving uh, debris out. And when you think 40 hours in, that is a testament to the people and the workers here and also the workers uh, at that cabinet. Division of Forestry is assisting with tree removal. We have requested and we have received assistance from all over the state and from the federal government, uh, including help in search and rescue from federal teams as well as other state teams. That is the Kentucky governor from last week. Again, he mentioned the National Guard. Now, the National Guard actually celebrated a birthday, and one of the bigwigs from Washington, D.C., was last week on with ABC's Good Morning America. General Daniel Hokinson. General Hokinson, thank you for being with us. And if you can, uh, give us a sense of what your troops are seeing there on the ground as they uh, help aid this devastating uh, natural disaster. Well, thank you, Amy. And, and first of all, our thoughts and prayers go out to not only the people of Kentucky, but all the states impacted. And I've been in close contact with the Kentucky National Guard, which is where our main efforts are today. We've got about 380 guardsmen there that are helping with search and recovery. They're also helping local law enforcement because, of course, they were impacted as well. And then also we're doing a lot of debris removal. Uh, the other great thing that the Guard brings is because we're in those communities, we have the ability to operate 24-7. And so we're augmenting them and helping any way we can with their recovery efforts. You said there any way you can. Do you expect uh, more? Do you th think more is going to be asked of you there in Kentucky and surrounding states? Yeah, we'll be in close contact with the local authorities, but I think that may continue to grow. I mean, obviously, when you see from the food, the footage, just the level of right. devastation is, is really bad there. Uh, and our hearts and prayers go out to everyone affected as well, including uh, your men and women who are there helping so many. Uh, today, as we mentioned, is the National Guard's 385th birthday. Mm -hmm. yeah. And your motto, in case uh, people need to know, is always ready, always there. Well, we're obviously seeing that and we've been seeing it throughout this pandemic and so many of the other things that are going on. But when you have multiple tragedies going on in play at the same time, give us a sense of how you're able to always be there and always be ready. <laughs> well, I think... Uh a lot of times uh, people don't realize just how large the National Guard is. We have 445,000 soldiers and airmen. And today, exactly, we've got uh, 54,000 on duty. Uh, we've got 12,000 helping out with uh, COVID response around the country. And we also have 29,000 that are deployed overseas today. And because we're man-trained and equipped to really fight our nation's wars, we can do just about anything we've been asked to do. And you've really seen that over the last two years with COVID response, with hurricanes, wildfires. Um, whenever we're asked to be there, we're, we're there to help out. Where are you on resources? Remember, we had uh, the head of the Coast Guard here at one point. Yeah. And again, you all are unique in that. You get called uh, on to do so many things. And it seems like we've had so many disasters, whether it's the wildfires, whether it's yeah. flooding. But how are you on resources? Do you yeah. ever feel, uh, I know you, you, the right answers yeah. always could take more. Right? Exactly. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> do you ever feel stretched thin? So when you look at the National Guard, we're about 20 percent of the entire Department of Defense, but we operate on about 4 percent of the budget. So 
our business model is a part-time force, so we're really a tremendous value to our nation. And of course, we could always use more resources, but we really try and leverage every single resource we have to meet every requirement. And when you look really over the past 20 years with the amount of deployments we've had downrange, and really the last two years with COVID, uh, we've never missed a single mission. And our recruiting and retention really supports that. And that is certainly remarkable in these times. But speaking of these times during this pandemic, uh, we know that there is a vaccine requirement for the yes. men and women who serve in the National Guard. Mm-hmm. And uh, just earlier this month, the governor of Oklahoma yes. filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration seeking to stop that requirement. Want to know um, what what are your vaccination numbers right now and where do you stand with this lawsuit and the Biden administration? So for those that are the National Guard, they know my number one priority is taking care of our people. And really, that goes to their health and safety. And so, as Secretary of Defense has uh, outlined, it is a requirement for us. And so we are encouraging and actually requiring our guardsmen to get it. Um, But we're working very closely to make sure that, because as we mentioned earlier, we've got to be always ready, always there, that they're medically ready and they can go into any environment we ask them to be in. You know, it's, it's birthday time, right? Uh, big birthday. I uh, won't ask you how you're going to celebrate, but just take a moment here and remind folks, and you can highlight whatever you might be most proud of uh, in the work that you all have been doing. But this is this is no small thing, and I know you're proud of the work yeah. you all do. It, it is. When you go back to 1636 with the Massachusetts Bay Colony, when they formed the first three regiments, those units are still in existence today in the Massachusetts National Guard, the oldest military organizations in the United States. But what we have shown over 385 years is just how important we are to our country. Our sincere thanks to everyone, currently and in the past, our citizen soldiers. You've served this country well, and certainly you continue to do so. We are off and running on this Christmas edition of the American Veteran Show, and certainly condolences to all of those impacted by last weekend's deadly tornadoes. When we come back through the rest of the program, more of a holiday feel, we will take you to Da Nang and the USO Tour with Bob Hope from 1967. That's next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Now, back to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Happy holidays to you. Merry Christmas. And of course, because this is our final new program of the year, we've got the best of the next couple of weekends. We will be back strong in January 2022, just next month, with uh, the final portion of the fifth season of this program. And we kick off season six in early February. Let's take you now back in fact, my dad, my dad saw one of these Bob Hope USO tours when he was in the Vietnam Theater in Thailand. We take you to Da Nang, 1967. The Third Marines have seen a lot of combat, and they needed all their experience to find a place to sit on this hill. Here in Da Nang, it was strictly CRO, climbing room only. Look at these cats. They're lying with their bodies under the stage and their faces staring up at them. Denang, better known as Dodge City. <laughs> yes, sir, Denang is one of my favorite stops, and I mean stop. <laughs> Go any further and you're in Kong country. <laughs> and the guys love it here because Denang has such a wonderful location. 
It's so handy to downtown Hanoi. And I want to tell you, folks, these Marines are really tough. I asked one guy if he'd seen... Yeah, you're tougher than I thought. They're really tough. I asked one guy if he'd seen John Wayne, and he said, John Wayne, who's she? And their motto is Semper Fidelis. That means, oh, don't worry about it, Doc. Just nail it back on. There's some guys that never made it up there. Come on down. I don't think they're on our side, are they? Nice lot you bought. No, the, the Marines here would go over the hill if it wasn't for one thing. The Marines on the other side of the hill went over the hill to get over here. You can work that out. You're ready for Section 8. But these Marines have a great history. They've landed on more beaches than Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. No, I go way back. I go way back with the Marines. Wake Island, Guadalcanal, Iwo Jima. I saw all those pictures. bring you great news from the land of liberty. It's still there. You may have to cross a picket line to see it, but it's there. But don't worry about those riots you hear about in the States. You'll be sent to survival school before they send you back there. And you get the college scores over here. You've heard the results of the big game, UCLA 21, Dow Chemical 12. Now Dow Chemical just got even with the students. They came out with an asbestos draft card. Can you imagine those peaceniks back home burning their draft cards? Why don't they come over here and Charlie will burn them for them? And everything's going up at home. Prices, taxes, and miniskirts. Miniskirts are bigger than ever. Even some of the fellas are wearing them. Don't laugh. If you'd have thought of it, you wouldn't be here. This is very distinguished gentleman in the audience who has seen Bob Shaw for four years. At this time, I would like to introduce the Vice President of the Republic of Vietnam, Nguyen Cao Ki. So I would like to take this opportunity to express to all my fellow fighters on behalf of my people, my country, our gratitude. We know how big your sacrifice. We know how big your dedication. I'm sure the generation of Vietnamese today and those to come will remember you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all of you. When they told me that they expected us to make an arrested landing on a carrier, I knew they were putting me on. They just had to switch us to copters and land us safely on the deck. But when we were 200 miles out over the South China Sea in a ridiculous plane called the C-2A and the pilot headed for the flight deck at 130 miles an hour, I did what any red-blooded American would do. I turned green. 
Notice that smiling face. You thought I couldn't act. There's Les Brown, and he isn't acting. I was still complaining the next morning when we started our show on the flight deck. It's too hot for this. Put that in my trunk, man. That's going to be a big story connected to that where I was a hero or something. Put that in my trunk. Thank you very much. I'm very thrilled to be here. And where are we? <laughs> Board the USS Rangers. There you are. How do you get those seats? Are they Republicans? What is that? <laughs> Even the Jolly Green Giant couldn't hang ten on this surfboard. The great ship for liberty. The other end's in Hong Kong. <laughs> and for anybody who hates being here on this boat, how'd you like to be here without it? <laughs> I, I can't wait to leave this raft because we're going to be launched by catapult. <laughs> I hope everything goes back into place. <laughs> Did you see the landing we made on this carrier yesterday? Tommy, were the wings folded when we landed? <laughs> I haven't been hooked like that since vaudeville. <laughs> now, if you see a pair of jockey shorts buzzing the bridge, they're mine. <laughs> if you hear a few strange sounds now and then, that's what's causing the trouble up there. The radar. The Admiral was kind of chicken and wouldn't turn it off. And now here to take over the show is the Lawrence Olivier of Broadway. A great guy and a wonderful vocalist, Earl Wilson. Thank you, fellas. You know, back in the States, we've heard the civilian and naval experts' opinions of the war. But I've been asked by my newspaper editors to find out the facts from the one man who would really know what's happening out here, the average seaman. So I asked your personnel officer for the enlisted man who'd been stationed on the Ranger the longest. And I'd like to talk to him now. Won't you please step out here? What do you want painted? <laughs> Why would I want anything painted? That's the way it is in the Navy, Mac. We paint it, and if we can't paint it, we polish it, and if we can't polish it, we promote it. Taylor, <laughs> this isn't a work detail. I'd like to ask you a few questions. First, uh, what is your name? Donnelly, William Donnelly. <laughs> That's a very famous name. Well, that should be. I'm the head painter. Oh, you mean you're in charge? No, I mean I paint the heads. <laughs> Bill, if I may call you that, and I'm not too familiar with service insignia, what is your rank? Apprentice seaman. Apprentice seaman? But what are all those stripes? Whip marks. The legendary Bob Hope, Da Nang, 1967. And you just think of Bob Hope bringing just a little bit of home to those 
boys who were fighting, and so many of them were so young. When we come back as we continue our holiday theme, you'll hear Christmas greetings from Ronald Reagan and Franklin Delano Roosevelt, as well as a soldier's poem and a little bit from the United States Navy Band. That's next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stephan Tubbs. Glad you're with us. As we continue this Christmas holiday-themed American Veteran Show, we certainly wish you and yours the safe and healthy, happy Christmas and Merry Christmas to all of you or whatever you celebrate. And, of course, a safe and happy New Year as well. Hope you enjoyed hearing Bob Hope last segment from Da Nang in 1967. We'll give you a couple of messages from two great presidents. First, one in the 40s during wartime. Tonight on Christmas Eve, all men and women everywhere who love Christmas are thinking of that ancient town and of the star of faith that shone there more than 19 centuries ago. American boys are fighting today in snow-covered mountains, in malarial jungles, on blazing deserts. They are fighting on the far stretches of the sea and above the clouds. Fighting the thing that they, for which they struggle, I think is best symbolized by the message that came out of Bethlehem. On behalf of the American people, your own people, I send this Christmas message to you to you who are in our armed forces. In our hearts are prayers for you and for all your comrades in arms who fight to rid the world of evil. We ask God's blessing upon you, upon your fathers and mothers and wives and children, all your loved ones at home. We ask that the comfort of God's grace shall be granted to those who are sick and wounded, and to those who are prisoners of war in the hands of the enemy, waiting for the day when they will again be free. And we ask that God receive and cherish those who have given their lives, and that he keep them in honor and in the grateful memory of their countrymen forever. God bless all of you who fight our battles on this Christmas Eve. God bless us all. Keep us strong in our faith that we fight for a better day for humankind here and everywhere. President Roosevelt during World War II. More than 40 years later, the great communicator, President Reagan, in 1987. As Americans celebrate this joyful season, it gives me great pleasure to send heartfelt greetings to the members of the United States Armed Forces. Traditionally, this is a time to gather around the hearth with loved ones, to celebrate and give thanks for the peace and abundance with which God has blessed our great land. But in the midst of these good times with family and friends, the American people have not forgotten those who are protecting our way of life. The security that our armed forces provides ensures our freedom and protects all we cherish. That's quite a gift you're giving, and you can be certain we appreciate it. 
All of you could have taken paths other than the military life. During Yuletide, the sacrifices you're called upon to make seem more acute, most especially for those who must spend the holiday season away from home and family. But each of you understands the importance of your job and that your readiness and vigilance must never be relaxed. The professionalism and spirit with which you maintain our country's defense are sources of deep and abiding pride in the hearts of all Americans. To you who willingly shoulder that burden, and to your families who stand beside you as you carry out your vital duties, I send the thanks of a grateful nation. No matter where you serve, your countrymen think of you. As your commander-in-chief, I'm proud to salute you. Nancy joins me in wishing you and your loved ones a wonderful holiday and health and prosperity in 1988. God bless you, and God bless America. It was the night before Christmas. He lived all alone in a one-bedroom house made of plaster and stone. I had come down the chimney with presents to give and to see just who in this dwelling did live. I looked all around, a strange sight to see. No tinsel, no presents, not even a tree. No stockings on the mantel, just boots filled with sand. On the wall hung pictures of far distant lands. Medals and badges, awards of every kind. A sobering thought came alive in my mind. This house was different. It was dark, it was dreary. I had found the home of a soldier. I could see that most clearly. The soldier lay sleeping, silent, alone, curled up on the floor in this one-bedroom home. His face was so gentle, the room in such disorder, not at all how I pictured a United States soldier. Was this the hero of whom I'd just read? Curled up on a poncho, the floor for a bed. Then I realized the other families that I saw this night owed their lives to soldiers who were willing to fight. In the morning round the world, children would play. Grown-ups would celebrate a bright Christmas day. But they all enjoy freedom each month of the year because of soldiers like the one lying here. I couldn't help but wonder how many lay alone on a cold Christmas Eve in lands far from home. The very thought brought a tear to my eye. I dropped to my knees and I started to cry. The soldier awakened. I heard his rough voice. Santa, don't cry. This life is my choice. I fight for freedom. I don't ask for more. My life is my God, my country, my core. The soldier rolled over and drifted to sleep. But I couldn't control it, and I continued to weep. I kept watch for hours, so silent and still as both of us shivered from the cold night's chill. I didn't want to leave him on that cold, dark night, this guardian of honor, so willing to fight. 
Then the soldier rolled over with a voice soft and pure. He whispered, Carry on, Santa. It's Christmas Day. All's secure. One look at my watch, I knew he was right. Merry Christmas, my friend. May God bless you this night. So powerful. Called a soldier's poem. And as we wrap up and head toward our final segment, which will be devoted to something that some of you may have either heard on our program before or you're familiar with in the early stages of World War One, It's called and known as the Christmas Truce. So we'll have that straight ahead. But first, keeping that holiday spirit alive, let's hear it for the United States Navy Band. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been said that we don't do enough of the old stuff for the standards. So this next one is for all you original hipsters out there. That's right. Put your mittens around your kittens as we bring to you this holiday wish. Of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Where those treetops listen And children listen to hear Sleigh bells in the snow The snow is the American Veteran Show online at AmericanVeteranShow.com Here's Stephan Tubbs As we wrap up this week's edition of the American Veteran Show ahead of Christmas, again Merry Christmas to you and your family and think of our active duty members who are away from their families during the holiday time Over the decades it has only grown the legend of the 1914 Christmas Truce Tomorrow you know shoot, we know shoot At the start of the war Many believed it would all be over by Christmas. However, by December that year, it was obvious that this was not the case, and thousands of families and soldiers were facing a Christmas of separation, grief and hardship. So for those soldiers who are in the trenches over winter 1914, the conditions would have got gradually worse and worse. You got a lot of rain, a lot of frost, and the general living conditions would have been terrible. But the British troops were not alone. In the trenches opposite theirs, sometimes only 30 yards away across the strip of no man's land, were German soldiers in the exact same situation. There was lots of opportunity for each side to communicate with the other. And this was a regular thing which happened right from the start of trench warfare. 
Um, but communication would often be in the form of soldiers from one side shouting over insults to those in the other trenches. But what was interesting at Christmas is that both sides actually started to communicate in more friendly terms. It really began with the Germans singing Christmas carols and setting up Christmas trees uh, on top of their parapets. And so they came to very much empathise with one another. I remember very well Christmas. I remember the Christmas day when the German and the French soldiers left their trenches, went to the barbed wire between them with champagne and cigarettes in their hands and uh, had feelings of fraternization and uh, shouted they wanted to finish the war. And that lasted only two days, one and a half really, and then strict order came that no fraternization was allowed and we had to stay back in our trenches. The Christmas truce varied in different parts of the front line. Ceasefires were hastily arranged, sometimes to enable the collection and burial of bodies or to allow the trenches to be repaired. In other cases, the soldiers simply enjoyed fraternising with the other side. And uh, we shared fags, goodies, with the Germans. And then from somewhere, somehow, this football appeared. Was it a proper football? It was a proper football. But we didn't form a team. It wasn't a team game in any sense of the word. You know, it was a kickabout. Everybody was having a go. It came from their side. It wasn't from our side where the ball came. How many people were taking part, do you think? Well, I should think there'd be at least a couple of hundred. Did you kick the ball? Oh, yes, I did go at it. I was pretty good then, 19. <laughs> but while some parts of the front line were playing football and swapping stories, Others were confused by what they heard, or felt no inclination to socialise with those they had so recently been fighting. After a few moments, there were lighted objects raised above the German parapet. The Germans were shouting over to our trench. There's no doubt about that at all. And before we could take any action or do anything, we were ordered to open rapid fire, you see, which we did. The Germans did not reply to our rapid fire. They simply carried on with their celebrations and were having a, a very fine time indeed. They certainly were not going to do it anymore. They thought that we were idiots, I suppose that we were. We're not us, but the command, is it? The way that trench warfare was organised in the First World War, each sector was very distinctive. And so you wouldn't necessarily know what was happening in the sector next door to you and you do get stories of one area of the front where they're experiencing a truce but then suddenly they get fired on by the troops in the next sector who don't realise what's happening. For those soldiers not involved the truce must have seemed unbelievable and even more so for those back home. For months the media and government propaganda had shaped a perception of German soldiers as bloodthirsty enemies, baby eaters, devils, ruthless killers but news of the remarkable Christmas truce soon spread abroad. By the end of December, letters and photos arrived home and newspapers began to publish accounts of the truce. My father was delighted to have a letter giving such a description of events and he sent, it up, sent them up to the Daily Telegraph. I got into frightful rocket. That showed up that it must have been me who wrote it and he, Mossy, got hold of me, gave me an awful dressing down for daring to write to the press. But of course I didn't. <laughs> My old man wrote to the president. 
These photographs were taken on personal cameras that some soldiers had taken with them into the trenches. Photography in the trenches was discouraged for obvious reasons, but during the Christmas truce of 1914, soldiers on both sides of the trenches could not resist the opportunity to document such a unique event. At the beginning of January 1915, the newspapers suddenly start printing these letters. And to begin with, there was a certain amount of disbelief. But then over time, suddenly photographs started to appear as well. And by that time, the evidence was clear that this did happen. It wasn't a myth. And the media at the time absolutely loved it. There were lots of discussions in the newspapers about whether this was a good thing or a bad thing. And, you know, in, in a way, it, it's a wonderful snapshot of Christmas 1914 when attitudes were still slightly naive um, because the war had only really just begun. You find that in 1915 and onwards, the war becomes almost a much more serious endeavour. The Christmas truce would come to be remembered as something of a blip in the regular conduct of the war. It conflicted with the patriotic aggression required by both sides. It also served to highlight the great contrast between war and religion. How can you fight a war of aggression while also celebrating Christmas, the traditional time for peace and goodwill? For those reasons, the Christmas truce was increasingly seen as unimportant and awkward to fit into the standard narrative of the First World War. You never get anything like the Christmas truce happening again. And over time, not only is it seen as an anomaly, but almost as a myth. And it gets to the point where people are actually doubting whether it happened in the first place, which continues, you know, right up to this day. So there's still a lot of confusion about whether there was a football match played and things like this. We didn't cross to France until March of 1915. But I, although it would be arrogant to say that the thing didn't actually take place, I very much doubt whether anything of the nature or magnitude that has been claimed for it took place at all. Now the purpose of that barbed wire in the trenches was to keep each side in its own place. Therefore, why would anybody try to break that? And if anybody tried, what are the NCOs doing? What were the officers doing? I think the whole thing borders on the fairy tale and may be classed with the Russians with snow on their boots and the angels of bonds. We know by looking at uh, German newspapers that the Christmas truce was covered there in a very similar way to how it was in Britain. In the 1920s and the 1930s, you see definite examples of how the Christmas truce changes in its depiction because there was a much greater emphasis then on the German soldier as a hero uh, fighting a noble war, whereas the Christmas truce conflicts with that to a degree. So in Germany in particular, the Christmas truce goes out of favour definitely in the 20s and 30s, whereas in Britain it continues to be the popular celebrated story as, as part of the First World War. That from the Imperial War Museum in London. That wraps up this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. For producer Matt Steinkruger and all of us here at 710 KNUS in Denver, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We'll be back next month as we wrap up Season 5. And whatever you do over the holidays, remember our troops. 
The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteransShow.com. Join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season test your skills on prize picks the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports just select two or more players pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats and place your entry it's as easy as that if you have the skills you can turn ten dollars into 250 dollars with just a few taps easy gameplay quick withdrawals and injury insurance on your picks are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com/get100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.